Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. By all accounts, Michael May has lived an extraordinary life. As an Olympic athlete, he won three bronze medals in various alpine skiing events. Michael then went on to become a CIA employee before later becoming a very successful inventor. All of these incredible accomplishments become even more amazing when you learn that Michael Mays was fully blind. At the age of three, due to a chemical explosion, Michael lost his sight. And yet, even with this challenge, he still achieved many and significant dreams. Except perhaps for one. Michael had never looked on the face of his beloved wife. He'd never seen the childish joy across the faces of his two little boys. In 1999, a revolutionary procedure was developed, and it offered Michael the promise of sight restored. But this procedure did not come without its risks, both its physical risks, but also its emotional risks on him and on his family. Michael recalls the day as he sat there on the bed and his bandages were removed. He vividly recalls looking at the eyes of his little boys, shocked and amazed at the brilliant blue that he saw revealed there. As you can imagine, Michael Mays never forgot that first glimpse. Though it came with great risks, he was willing to pursue in order to see the light. How far would you go to see the light? Heavenly Father, today we come to you as believers seeking your face. God, we feel so incredibly blessed to be able to gather together and to come before your throne of grace, knowing that you are our God, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. And so, Father, here we are before you. And I pray, Father, that you and you alone may speak 
and be lifted up. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a time of great stress and of political intrigue. War was on the horizon, or at least the very real threat, that it may soon be a reality. And no, I'm not speaking of our current age. But rather, thousands of years ago, as recorded in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6 and verse 1. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It was not uncommon to record the year based upon when the king died or when he ascended to the throne. This was common practice. And yet, what is uncommon or maybe remarkable here is the stress that this statement would have induced for individuals living in these times. You see, when a king died, the nation went through a time of incredible vulnerability, instability, fear, and insecurity. The, the, the nation was at its weakest point. And especially, as is the case, for King Uzziah's kingdom. For you see, for many years now, the kingdom of Judah had been attacked by the ruthless Assyrians. King Uzziah was a fearless defender, always on the forefront of the attack. With him in command, the people felt secure and safe. But now he was dead. You can imagine the chatter in the marketplace as the townspeople turn to one, each other, one another and say, what's going to happen? Will we be okay? Will we survive? Will the Assyrians overtake us? And it's as though in Isaiah chapter 6, the camera that was zoomed in upon the scene of the death of the king now pans up to another king seated on his throne. To the only king that would not die, to the only king whose reign was secure, to the only God who would last forever. And Isaiah sees this incredible picture of God and the hope that it offered to him. The experience of Isaiah was not in common. In fact, it mirrors those of any, many other great leaders of faith, including Moses, Amos, Daniel, Ezekiel, and John on the lonely isle of Patmos, who all saw the Lord revealed in his glory. As the SDA Bible commentary expounds, 
When perils encompass God's people and the powers of darkness seem about to prevail, God calls them to look up to him, seated on his throne and directing in the affairs of heaven and earth in order that they may take courage and hope. Does our world need hope and courage today? Do we need hope and courage today? As our eyes scan the horizon and we see the chaos, we feel the fear, and today God is saying, like Isaiah, to pan that camera up to the one who sits on the throne. In times of great crisis and every day in between, the people of God can look up from the weakness of humankind to the king who reigns forever. Have your eyes looked up? Have you too seen the light? After seeing this glory of God revealed, Isaiah naturally then begins to say, Woe is me, for I am undone. Woe is me, for I am undone. I remember a time in my recent past where I also said those words, though for a very different context than you may be imagining. There I stood in front of a full-length mirror in the beautiful country of India, a place of incredible spices and aromas and bright, vivid colors, and I was looking at a sari that had just been gifted to me. A beautiful sari that I could not wait to wear to church that evening to surprise the one who had bestowed it upon me. So I did what anyone my age would do. I, I got on YouTube, right? <laughs> or TikTok, didn't exist then. I get on and, and I begin to search, how do you put on a sari? As you can imagine, the videos made it look quite simple. But I was deceived. I began to wrap the sari and put the pleats, and just as I thought I should, and I admittedly was rather proud of my work, it was not as hard as I feared. And I was already imagining the joyous expressions as I showed up to church and met those who had given this sari to me. I began to hurry downstairs and out to the street to my mode of transportation for that evening, a motorcycle, <laughs> on which I was to ride side saddle in my sari. Don't tell my mother. <laughs> but something happened as I began to cross that street, something I have not forgotten. That sari began to unravel. My beautiful pleats were now falling down at my ankles. 
And in horror, I'm grabbing the fabric and trying to put it in all the necessary places. In distraught terror, I looked at the house across the way, a house that had two little girls with whom I had played soccer earlier in that day. And they returned that same expression of fear, shock and terror. They quickly ushered me in their home, and their mother opened the door, and with one glance of horror, she set about fixing this dire situation. Within five minutes flat, I had already eaten a delicious meal that she somehow quickly prepared. As she wrapped me back up appropriately in the sari with at least a couple dozen safety pens to ensure it stayed. <laughs> and there, of course, I said, woe is me, for I was undone. And I couldn't help but think of this story as I studied through the life of Isaiah. How often in our own lives do we try to wrap ourselves beautifully, to put those clothes just right, those happy Sabbath, good to see you, the image for all others to see. And yet our best attempts often unravel and sometimes at the most inopportune of times. Here before the presence of God and his glory, Isaiah firmly cries, Woe is me, for I am undone. Interestingly, if you read through the chapter of Isaiah, verse chapter 5, you will notice that throughout the entire chapter, Isaiah is saying, woe to them. Woe to that group. Woe to those people. Woe to... But suddenly, his perspective changes. When he sees the glory of God, his focus is no longer on correcting everyone else, but instead he looks at himself. Woe, Lord is me. And that prayer is heard. As we come into the presence of God, not only do we see ourselves, but more importantly, we see God for who he truly is. We see him as a God, yes, that reveals us as we are, but a God who already has the remedy. Isaiah, your lips are unclean. I have the solution. Whatever is in your heart, I can heal it. The solution is already provided by the Savior who is more than able to cleanse. We all know about grace. We've heard the story likely for many years. We know the theory, but have we accepted the light as our own? Moments later, the voice of God rings out once more. Whom shall I send, 
who will go for us? Notice with me the immediacy with which this call is given. God does not tell Isaiah, now, now hold on a second, you were like just converted. Why don't you just sit down in the pew, see how long this conversion lasts, see if you can make it in your own strength and not sin anymore. Why don't you just do that? And then if you succeed, then I'll call you into service. Is this how God responds? Immediately upon Isaiah surrendering his life to God, God says, beautiful, I have a plan, I have a purpose. Your life is valuable to me. It has meaning. Maybe some of us have felt as though we have to prove ourselves to God, as though we have to do this much in order to look good in his sight. And God says, I see you. I love you for who you truly are in me. Without any questions, Isaiah responds, Here am I, send me. My husband and I have been married for less than two years, a little over or about a year and a half now. And when, of course, it's recent enough that I still remember when he asked me out on our first date. And I don't know about you, but like, you just want to pull out the list with 500 questions out of your purse and just be like, all right, let's get this over with. Forget the flowers, forget the chocolate. Like, let's get to business. Are you going to work? Is this going to be the one? Those are the questions you, you want to ask. Oh, I did not pull out a list, but I, I guarantee he superseded it. But those questions, you, you want to know, what are their interests? What are their values? Do they like pineapple on pizza? All of those non-negotiables that must be established for a happy marriage. Likewise, if you go for a job interview, most certainly, or at least I should hope, you are asking your possible uh, employer, when would the job begin? What are my expectations? Who do I report to? What would I make? These are natural and important questions to ask. And yet here, astoundingly, Isaiah asks, no questions. He does not ask, well, God, when? God, where? God, this? God, he doesn't ask a thing. He simply responds, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Initially, we may wonder if this lack of questions could come from Isaiah's recollection of the life of King Uzziah. You see, King Uzziah, as was mentioned in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, the king that had recently died, that king had decided to rebel against God, to blatantly disregard his commands, 
forcing his way into the temple and performing a service of which he had no part. And as a consequence of his choices, King Uzziah was struck with leprosy. The remainder of his years were not in his glory, but rather in the shame as he died alone and suffering. Is this why Isaiah didn't ask any questions? Is his response simply, yes, sir, here I am, let's go, out of fear? And yet that is not the context in which this passage is given. Rather, it paints a very different picture. It's as though the conversation actually does not include Isaiah. He is simply eavesdropping when God is saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah throws up his hand like, a little boy trying out for the baseball team. Pick me! Pick me! Here I am! Pick me! And Isaiah responds to the call. In contrast to King Uzziah, Isaiah's ears were attuned to God. So when he heard God call, he could respond. He had pressed into the presence of God. He had seen his glory. He had surrendered his life to him. He had repented to God. He'd been healed by God. And now he could come and say, God, if you have work to do, if there's service, if there's ministry, God, please, please pick me. Here I am. Lord, send me. He implored God, much like the two discouraged believers on the road to Emmaus, who would never have known that that anonymous stranger was actually the risen Lord, unless they had pressed him to come home to dinner with them. And yet how easy it is for us to run in and out of the presence of God. We have these burdens that we may be carrying, and yet we come to God praying only for a blessing on the food in the day. Instead of pressing into his presence, lingering at the throne of grace, not getting up until that burden is lifted, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will, not I might, I will give you rest as we press in to the presence of God. Do you have a lonely soul today? God responds, I'm the one who fills it. Is your heart broken? He's the healer. Are you searching for meaning, for purpose? He has the answer. Whatever burden you carry, he has the solution. And how often he replies, that's not your burden to carry. That's mine. Give it to me, and I will carry it for you. 
Not a moment in his presence as we hastily speed by, but pressing closer into his glory. Isaiah beautifully modeled this in the passage of Isaiah 6. And it's demonstrated in the acronym of PRAY. P, praise. R, repent. A, ask. And Y, yield. It's a beautiful tool if you're wishing also as we've gone through this prayer conference, another tool that we can take with us to press deeper into the presence of God. We come to God with praise seeing him as the God that he is, thanking him for the blessings that he has bestowed. And as we see God, we too may be led to that repentance, confessing where we have fallen from him. Next, Isaiah asked, he asked for healing, for an anointing of his lips, and finally yielding ourselves once more before the throne of grace. Together, Like Isaiah, we can pray. A few years ago, I had the opportunity of meeting a woman who I will refer to as Ruby. Ruby was attending some meetings we were having at church, and she was attending faithfully every single evening. Remember, after one of the programs, A friend of mine came up to me and said, hey, Carissa, Ruby doesn't have a ride home tonight, so I told her you could give her a ride. So there I was, late at night, taking Ruby to her home. And as I continued to drive down into the the middle of town, you know those areas where you instinctively lock the door? That was the place, those were the streets that she called her home. You see, Ruby was a prostitute selling herself for drugs, for love, for affection, selling herself. And yet she continued to attend the meetings each night. And I remember the night when an altar call was given And when Ruby came forward accepting Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And yet a few nights later, the joy I had once seen was replaced with fervent tears. As I sat beside her and asked her, what happened? Ruby began to explain She said, I've just done too much for God to forgive me. I'm I'm a prostitute. I was a drug addict. I've just done too many things. There's no way I can ever be good enough for God. Carrying the shame of her past. And I turned to Ruby and I said, Ruby, God has a message that he wrote specifically for you opening up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we read, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Tonight, Ruby, when Jesus looks, looks at you, he does not see your past. He does not see shame. 
When Jesus looks at you, he sees his beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased. Do you believe that this morning? So also in our lives, that promise is ours. As we come before God, as we see his glory, as we confess our sins to him, God says, my grace is so much greater. My power is so much stronger. Leave your burdens with me and I will carry them. His words remain true today. My prayer is today that we too can echo the words of Isaiah as we see the incredible grace of God so beautifully pictured on the cross. We too, like Ruby, can claim the promise that we are a new creation in Christ. And that awareness motivates us, it calls us, it propels us to action. Out of a desire, a yearning desire to tell others that they too are loved, that they too are valuable, that they too have a life of meaning. And so today we too can join Isaiah in saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Where will I go, you may ask? I don't know. It could be to another country. It could be to another state. It could be to your neighbor that's lonely down the street. It could be to your coworker that's experiencing burnout or just went through a loss. It could be simply down the hallway to hug your spouse, to hug your child, and to reveal the love of God to them. Where will you go? I don't know. God knows. But one question yet remains. To what length will you travel to be the light? Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.